Welcome to Alkenstar, frontier town surviving in the middle of a harsh desert wasteland. Nestled between two highly magical warring nations, Nex, the arcane-centered powerhouse to the north, and Geb, the necromantic bloodlords to the south. The lands itself are scarred from powerful magics, making its use dangerous and unpredictable. In the midst of that chaos, Alkenstar sprung up, embracing new forms of technology. Black powder and clockworks. With this technology able to give it a foothold of defense unrivaled in power, Alkenstar has stood defiant ever since. Many travelers escaping their past end up here, a last bastion of sorts, and a chance to start a new life. And that's where our story picked up. A group of outlaws were wronged on these streets, set up by none other than local business mogul Ambrose Mugland and his latest business partner, the Shield Marshal Angelique Loveless. We have Anita Kieran Ulysses Mendoza, a bright student at Blithier College with a side job of crime, along with a history of helping her father patch up those with a penchant for danger. When Muglin had her expelled from school, she was then arrested for trespassing in an attempt to retrieve her life's work. We have Reficule, the tiefling cowboy with a shady past. Raised by Ambrose Muglin himself, he was betrayed, then saved by Anita's father. They spent the last year bonding, and Reficule has sworn to do whatever he can to protect her and get revenge on Mugland. We have Hal Brandt Beastwood, a wanderer of the dangerous mana waste with a taste for lizard tales. With his connections to the shield marshals, he has a history with Loveless, and a faded security job put him in the wrong place at the wrong time, leading to his arrest for smuggling and the murder of his retired friend. And Saruk, a stranger to these parts, hailing from the, the Mwangi Expanse, here from Matakali to chase down an old partner that set him up and went on the run. His quarry, Gimthrak, has been tied up with Loveless and Mugland, leading to his untangling of the leads in an attempt to bring Gimthrak home for justice. With nowhere left to turn, they were all recruited by one Phoebe Dunsmith to get revenge on the pair. As luck would have it, Phoebe secretly works for the Grand Duchess in a black ops off the book sort of way. Using their past crimes as leverage and promising gold and a chance at revenge against Mugland and Loveless, the group was informed of a dangerous new substance at the heart of the Troubles. Pyronite. Invented by the famed alchemist Vashon Gattleby, this new substance is both highly explosive and highly stabilized, allowing untold destruction at the hands of anybody with the coin. Phoebe insists on keeping the formula out of the hands of the wrong people, instead hoping to keep Gattleby safe from those who might to wish to do him harm, or harm with the Pyronite. And 
As it turns out, she was right. While our outlaws defended Gattleby from thugs hired by Loveless, a mysterious third party of powder keg punks entered into the mix and made a play for Gattleby. Rebuked easily by the outlaws, Phoebe felt uneasy about the situation and asked them to investigate who else wanted to get their hands on Gattleby. That investigation led them to a shanty town on the side of Alkenstar Falls, Hellside, as the locals call it. There, a mysterious lab housed by jealous alchemist by the name of Shoma Lyserius. In a climactic showdown, Shoma detonated his life's work, a laboratory filled with green-burning alchemist fire, causing the entire place to go up in flames. Sadly, one of our outlaws did not survive the encounter. Poor Anita Kieran Ulysses Mendoza met her end within the inferno. And to top it off, Shoma told Phoebe that it was all for nothing. Word around town is another person has already managed to reverse engineer the pyronite formula. While Phoebe wrestles with the news, our outlaws have their own priority. Saving their friend Anita. A favor cashed in by Phoebe in exchange for a promise they will all take down Ambrose Mugland has led them to the Temple of Bry, the center of the clockwork production within Alkenstar, and home to its highest ranking cleric, High Clock Mother, Athenth Lalinar. There, within a special core shrine, they work to pull back Anita's soul from the astral plane into her body. It's here, in this sad moment with a heavy heart, we pick up our tale with the Cradle of Quartz. As is tradition, when we switch chapters, which we have not yet done this episode, this book, this is our cover image for the Cradle of Quartz. But we get to do, we get to do changing the landing screen to chapter one. And at the bottom of our screen, Sort of, it says like, you know, Cradle of Course, and it says Chapter One, The High Priest Puzzle. We fade back in from our sort of flashback recap narrator scene. The shrine in the Temple of Bri glows, a bright light refracting from the quartz table and 12 obelisks equidistant around the room. Small chunks of quartz sit in a holding spot within the clocks carved into the top of each one. Their ticks and tocks synchronize in perfect harmony. A woman, dark-skinned in tattoos resembling clockwork gears spreading across her face, recites words and phrases from her religious book. One, four, seven. A machine is only beyond repair when those who have the ability have not the inclination or the means. Six, three, two. The body is but a machine built from different parts. It can be fixed and improved with enough care. 
The reciting of these words continues, magical energies coursing through the clocks. The camera pushes in close towards the woman lying on the central court slab. We see young Anita, or what is left of her badly burnt body. It lies here motionless as her friends sit around trying their best to help the ceremony. So in this sort of chaos with the high clock mother deep in her prayers, deep in her ritual, this is a very long sort of process. It's going to take like basically like a full eight hours of prayer uh, to even accomplish this thing. And you guys are there to sort of assist. So the camera sort of pans around and we see the other three of our outlaws, you know, burnt, bloodied. I guess you guys would have a night's rest at least, but looking at least exhausted here in the temple. Uh, what are each of you doing in this moment? Hal is reciting a prayer to Tanagar, protector of the darkness, to either lead Anita back to us from the darkness or protect her as she passes on her way into eternal sleep. Buffy, Saruk. So I think probably for the first time since the camera has hit Saruk in Alkenstar, folks are seeing Saruk just like openly sobbing his heart out hand on, like I said, I think last time, like Anita's forehead just quietly over and over and over and over in his head, repeating uh, popular Majogwan aphorisms on the hope that A, if there is a chance that she can hear him and that he is sorry that he wasn't there when perhaps he should have been and B, if the powers that be can bring someone who shouldn't have been there in the first place, really, back to experience the fullness of the life that she deserves, then so be it. Over and over and over and over quietly in his head, my strength extends to you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. My strength extends to you. I'm sorry shaking and crying and generally making a mess. Also, this sort of like the camera, like is kind of going around the back of Saruk and you see Anita there and Saruk's crying. And as the camera passes behind Saruk and comes across him, we see sort of appearing suddenly, or perhaps is there only visible to Saruk in this moment. There is a sort of large spiritual Jaguar um, sitting at the foot of the the sort of cradle, this, uh, sorry, not the cradle, of course, the quartz shrine that it is laying on. And it just sort of has its hat, like head resting on like Anita's feet, just sitting there with like a sad look on his face. I think then the camera sort of keeps going past that scene and then settles on Anita's protector, Reficule. Refi's been sitting on the other side of the room. Head hung down. No eye patch. No hat. Just himself exposed to the world. He hasn't been able to look at Annie's body since he brought her in here. And he seemed fiddling with something in his hand for a moment. 
and he rolls it around for a second and he takes it and he looks at it that's a little pearl and for a moment we're brought back almost about a year's time to another happier looking reficle hat eye patch looking a bit rough still still a few bandages walking around a fair with Anita and Kojak. You see him take a stand for a moment and pose to get their portrait etched into a bit of metal. Then play some games. You see Refi coaching Anita on how to shoot a little pop gun. And she hits a bullseye. Three times. And you see her get her prize. And without thinking twice, she hands it over to Refi. And there I stand. With that little pearl in my hand. The first time anyone's ever given me a gift with no strings attached. With nothing expected in return. First true act of kindness. That I've ever received. He just hangs his head back down again. So we see as this sort of goes on for most of the day, there's sort of the like very clear montage of people like changing position around the room, everyone looking exhausted. And at a certain point, High Clock Mother stops her resuscitation of her holy text and she. Hells looks to the three of you and says, We'll need two. Take each of her hands, if you will. In an instant, Zerg's hand goes up. Hells kind of just paused, looking at Refugio. I've already failed her once. What if I fail again? And Hal will grab her other hand. So Refi sits there and watches them take their positions. The clock mother continues her prayers and she tells each of you to reach down into your connection with her. To say your prayers to plead with her to help her find her way back home. Refi does step do- up though and places mm-hmm. that pearl though. Just Somewhere on Anita. <laughs> right in her nostril. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. It's probably right here. Yeah, that's a good spot. Uh, so for Saruk, what is Saruk doing to help Anita? What is his call to bring her back? I think the biggest call to bring Anita back is the fact that Alkinstar as a community as evidenced by the last few months in this place is full of a lot of really smart really driven really innovative people who use that innovation for a lot of really bad things and Anita is not that 
Therefore, she's needed here. And on the other side of Anita, on the other hand, Albrant, are you helping to guide Anita back? Albrant spent a lot of time back home leading people through the darkness that only he could see. So I think he's trying to lend his spirit into this darkened realm where he assumes that she's at to guide her in the direction she wants to go, whether that's back to us or into the afterlife. So on a mechanic scent, this is a resurrection ritual. Resurrection Rituals are spells that can be cast. You don't have to be a spellcaster to actually do them. You can be involved as long as somebody knows the ritual. You can be a secondary caster on part of it. So the High Clock Mother is taking point as the primary caster on this ritual. She's one of the probably the only people powerful enough in Alconstar to even attempt such a thing. It'd be very rare for somebody to be, you know, to have this level of magics. It's a fifth level ritual which is pretty high in, in the grand scheme of things. So the DCs are not easy on a ritual like this. It's also marked with an uncommon tag, which means the, uh, the sort of DCs go up a bit, even beyond the normal levels of difficulty. However, given our levels and given how you guys are, I am going to have you, I'm not going so the DC for this check to be successful, by the way, is a DC 29 check for the main ritual. However, I given that we're fourth level and given that you guys are secondary casters, I am adjusting the DCs for your help actions down a bit because otherwise it would just be impossible. I'm not going to tell you what the DCs is on your check. Just know it's not 29, but it is still going to be considered a pretty rough DC for your level, especially given your guys' skill sets. So as the secondary caster for Halbrand and for Saruk, you have a choice to make. You can make either a religion check or a society check. Those are the two choices. Now, I will also say that generally speaking, this ritual casting is a downtime activity, and I know... The rules lawyers are going to yell at me because I'm one of them. You can't use fortune effects like hero points on downtime activities normally. However, given the gravity of the situation, if you would elect to use your hero point on this roll, I will allow you to roll with the sort of fortune effect of keeping the higher roll and cashing in your hero point ahead of time. You won't know the results because these are going to be secret rolls. But if you want to cash your hero point to get the sort of fortune effect of keeping the higher of 2d20, feel free to go ahead and do that. And if you're in chat and you've got hero points to spend to help with the Nita, send some love her way. Is, is this one of those times that we really want Steve to have a hero point? So Steve can give the person taking point on the ritual. Oh, I see what you're check. saying. So the, well, that's interesting. I, I didn't intend on giving the clock mother, uh, uh, hero point, but, uh, not, not the clock weather, but you, to use as you see fit. Me to use it as a clock. Yeah, ways. no, I, I got you. 
Well, Nina is in chat spreading her own hero points to help you guys help her out. So she's giving a hero point to each of you three. We got Heisenberg giving the GM a hero point. Man, you guys are just cashing all these hero points. How's the freaking time? I'll leave. So you guys can go ahead and make your roll secretly. Currently, I'm going to hide the rolls even from chat at home. I'm going to build the tension a bit. I don't want you guys to know what you're rolling right now. And we'll let it play out in story mode. Uh, in Twitch chat, I'll let you guys, you guys make the vote. Should I use a hero point on the NPC roll or should I not? You guys decide. Can I do a poll? Maybe I can do a poll. So while the poll is happening, and uh, I know it won't be uh, mechanically any different, but Refi, as he's watching all this, head bowed down, he's actually praying for the first time in his life. Prayer's a bit different, though. And he bows his head down. He thinks to himself, Bry Brig, Brian, whatever the hell your name is. <laughs> never had much use for the gods. Seems they never had much use for me. But you bring Annie back. You bring her back. Or you face the demon. And I would like to intimidate the god, please. <laughs> god damn it. Intimidate Brian. You can give me a, a secret intimidate check just to see that's how that goes. Intimidating a god. Um, and then for Saruk and Hal, just let me know what skill you're using and make your secret rolls, please. On, on that note, I don't know what the hell lore I would reach for in this moment that I would have trained out at the beginning of the day. But I know lores generally are pointed in a lower DC and I know I have the capability to grab anything. So maybe like resurrection lore or something like would that be doable? And there's gotta be, I mean, you have being an investigator, you have your pick to prepare any lore you want for at the start of the day. I think like basically, yeah, like resurrection lore, Phrasma lore, you know, a lore in that sort of vein is 100% something that you could do. I'm stress eating candy right now. Yeah, yeah. Mean mugging it over there. I just before I commit to rolling the lore that is pointed at a lower number, right? It'll it'll be a lower number than a non-skill lore. Uh, I mean, I think that that's more like, I don't know in this case if it really applies, but you're right. Generally, if you're doing a recall knowledge check, the lore is lower. So I think it fits in this moment and I'll I will allow it. Excellent. Likewise, Uh, because this is so goddamn important. Why? Yes, I am pursuing a lead and my lead is bring back the best character in this party. (laughs) Okay, going to make a blind GM roll. I really hope this brings you back, Nina. I've I've had a lot of friends who've reached out to me over the course of running this, and all of them have been like, Anita is the coolest character. Oh my god, I love her. I need this to happen, damn it. We'll go over the sort of um the sort of role options for people too, uh, in case you're not aware. Um as the assisters, there's four levels you can do. You can have a critical success, 
which gives a plus two circumstance bonus to the roll that the primary caster makes. If you get a success, there's no bonuses, but there's no penalty. If you hit a failure, you cause the primary caster to take a minus four circumstance penalty on their roll. And lastly, if you critically fail, you impose a minus four circumstance penalty. And in addition, the degree of success on the primary check automatically drops one step. So secondary casters are pretty critical here. So we have Tommy's resurrection lore roll in. And you rolled the fortune, right? Yeah, absolute freaking movie. Yeah. <laughs> How? You said religion, right? I don't think I can even make this check unless I get a net. Uh... Well, you don't know what I didn't tell you what the DC was for you guys, right? Sure, it's, I understand. I, got it. Yeah, um, but it's uh, yeah, it's religion or society. Yeah, I have a plus one in religion. Like I said, this is not your party's strong suit, right? Mm-hmm. Saruk, on the other hand, is is you know. Not bad at this, but got the end skills on lock. Got a few I more mean, minutes to get in. We have eighty percent of the chat voting yes to use the GM hero point on the roll, so everyone wants to need to say that. I better get in there. I don't want to open it because then I'm going to see what I rolled. No, I'm We're not showing the rolls on stream. Oh, You're, you hide. can open stream. You're fine. Okay. I'm hiding it even from chat right now. Okay. Hopefully, at least it's just like a zero. It doesn't like make it worse. Who voted like no? Out. Who voted no? <laughs> was it that uh, guy I was talking about doing the intro? I bet it was. Kick his ass. All right. And so with you guys sort of doing your your best to, to tap into this, uh, I will pull out Athenth Lalanir. And she makes the final check with all the applicable... So I will use the hero point because that is what the chat demanded. And I was given a hero point. So my hero point will be used on this roll. She is making a religion check with the applicable circumstance bonuses. You just put them in there real quick. And. All right. And she's keeping high roll. So this is this roll for now is still is going to be GM facing only. Okay. Okay. I hope it's good. I bet it's real good. Best roll. Hmm. Okay. From this scene, the camera pushes slowly in at Anita's face with the pearl here, right at her sort of clavicle area. What is this called? And it kind of goes in right at her face until it kind of pushes in and the screen sort of goes dark. And we find ourselves floating in a dark and endless void. Nina, if you will please rejoin me on camera. Anita. The searing pain fades fast as you feel yourself leaving your body behind. The world of Alkenstar, its grime and smog, fades slowly around you. The sound of Alkenstar falls slowly replaced by silence so loud it hurts. You find yourself floating amongst the endless void, weightless. Glancing backwards, 
you see your friends carrying your body through the rain-soaked streets. A tiny pinhole glimpse into the world you spent so much time within. And it draws further away until it is but a tiny dot. Feel yourself flowing along a path, despite the lack of any distinguishing figures in the void. Timeless and eternal, this place is. And as you float through, you see tiny glimpses of your past dotting the void. Tiny pinholes that give you but a moment glimpse of your life. And in one, you see, you instinctively know your mother and father. A young Kelishite couple. She carries a small bundle in her arms, riding a, de- a carriage through the harsh desert. There's a scream as she pulls you closer and bandits with weapons descend onto your parents, chopping away. You long to go back and see, and yet you have no control over your path. The haunting screams weigh in on your mind. Up ahead, you begin to see something take shape, a silvery thread on the horizon. It grows bigger as you see more glimpses of your life passing by. Of Kojak, raising you from a modest home in Alkenstar. Maeve, dancing on stage the first time you met. A wounded reficule being nursed back to health on the brink of death. Death. Is that what this is? Silvery River grows closer, and you see what it is now. Procession. Others like you floating through this endless void. On towards the afterlife. A river of souls. Their hollow eyes stare back at the void, nervous about the watchers. You see them now too. Strange figures on the shores of this river watching you float by. Some with wings, others with horns. Watching you, who watches eternity. At some point, with no time it's impossible to quantify when, you begin to drift away from the pack. A small tributary branching off the river towards a lake. The other souls continue on towards their destination. So why are you going elsewhere? come to a floating stop here within the lake. Beautiful and terrible scenery dot the landscape, giving a sense of uneasy serenity. As you bob and float, for a moment, you feel like you hear your friend's voices calling to you. A whisper on the wind. My strength extends to you. What does that mean? But something sees you here. In the tree line, something stalks you. 
its terrible shape twists and refuses to make sense to your mind, causing nothing but pain. You struggle to move, but you're unable to hear in this purgatory pond. The tentacled creature slithers out of its hiding space towards your soul. You stare back into its infinite eyes and see an infinity of abyss staring back. Its long, barbed tentacle reaches out towards you for a caress, an eternal kiss. And then it is snapped off. As the eye contact breaks with you, you find yourself back in the moment instead of just watching it happen to you. A large figure, half humanoid, half beast, wrestles with the creature. Its large machete dismembers the tentacles with ease, and the creature hisses a horrible sound as it slinks back into the forest. The large muscle creature sheathes, sheathes its machete and turns slowly to see you. The spotted fur of its shoulders gives way to the jaguar-like head as it looks down on your helpless soul. You recognize the holy symbol it wears on its chest from a lifetime ago. It all seems so arbitrary now. With a nod, the angel stands guard on the banks of the pond, watching you, watching over you, protecting you from the dangers that stalk the land. And you see others joining them, surrounding the pond. A strange boat seems to manifest on the banks of the lake. A woman, or is it a clockwork shaped like a woman, makes her way towards you. Her smooth motions barely disturb the water as she strokes her paddles in your direction. Her body is smooth ivory, trimmed with beautiful bronze. Her face covered by a bronze mask, hiding her expressions. And she offers you a hand, smooth and covered in bronze, to lift you into her boat. You take it. Yeah, I do. With ease, she's able to lift your weightless soul up out of the water into her boat. Her head tilts, mask hiding any facial motions. Greetings, Anita. What an absolute pleasure to meet you. Hello. I don't know. I'm sorry, but I, I don't know what's happening. Oh, this is the afterlife. She looks around. Or at least stepping stone to your afterlife. But Erasma has given us a moment here in private. She leans in a little bit closer to you, takes your hand. I must say, Wybert is a masterpiece. A nice blend of art and science. And some of your co your core ideas, they're very cutting edge. You must know. Why? 
Why did you build him anyway? Why, but, um, I was, I was never like the other children before. It always terrified me to go outside, and and when I tried at the behest of my dad, Kojak, the other kids made fun of me. So I learned to feel safest with my tools and all the puzzles Kojak gave me. And and when when I learned more and did more, I mean, why? But I thought that maybe. If I made something out of the things I felt safest in, going outside and and being normal would be easier. Definitely understand that. But why have you kept his secrets so close to your chest? Why not share his wonder with the world? Wybert is the only thing I had. Other people had a lot of things to to be prideful about. And the things that I thought that I'd be prideful about were really made fun of. It wasn't until Wybert really that people saw me. And it felt nice. And yet now you're here and Wybert's there. The secrets, his wonder, dead end. Have no one to continue your research, no one to push him further where he needs to be. But think about that. She kind of like idly looks over the edge of the boat into the the pond. You hear her take a deep breath. We're here in this pool by Phrasma's grace. Because we have a tough decision to make. Your friends are a persistent bunch. One of them is right now threatening me to do the right thing airs for you they're with one of my priests right now strong arming her into requesting my divine assistance and bringing your soul back to them but I'm not so sure I should Anita why are you deserving of another chance? Because I feel that I've only just started to live. I've, uh, I've never been comfortable or safe with other people before, but now that I'm actually with a group of people who, who see me and, and appreciate what I could do, it feels nice to be seen. I also think that I could do a lot of good. 
I've just always wanted to do a lot of good. I just never really had the chance to. You have the potential in you that is true. A bit misguided, perhaps. A lot of distractions in your life. But as I say, judge not a machine by how it does, but instead by what does. Your work on Wybert, Anita, it's important. Important for the future of Alkenstar. An evolution, the first step of what's possible. Just haven't opened your eyes. Not yet. Mm-hmm. She reaches her long ivory finger out and touches it to your head. You hear literal gears click, clack, click, clack, turning within your brain. You can feel them now. A new idea planted deep within your brain. She then kind of guides your head down into the water and looks with you. And at the bottom of the lake, you can see swirling waters forming a whirlpool. A bright light visible on the bottom of this impossibly deep lake. Another long pinhole peek back into your plane. A strange quartz shrine is there and you see your charred body being prayed over by the rest of your friends. Reficule at your head with the pearl placed on your neck. It will not be easy, Anita. But little that is worth doing is. Go now, if you choose. Or it's too late. Or you can choose to stay here. And I will personally guide you towards your final judgment. Anita, you're sitting in the boat looking down a path to the afterlife and a path back to home before you. What do you do? You're not going to take it back from me, yeah? Because I I do want to come back. I just got everyone back. And go. Be with them. But make sure your genius does not go unrecorded. Thank you. For giving me another chance. I step on the boat. Thank your friends. I will. will I remember any of this when I come back? Not likely, but I've planted a an idea in your head. It will carry you where you need to be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. 
yeah you can see like in the boat looking over the edge this there's this like impossibly deep lake and pond and there's just a pinhole at the bottom of it so to get back home you need to dive off the boat and swim down into the depths I cannonball into it <laughs> so you dive into this impossible black void the boat growing smaller ahead of you as you dive down deeper deeper attempting to go to your friends further it gets further they seem you struggle you swim it doesn't seem to come closer you give it all of your strength and you try and the pinhole light begins to flicker as it draws further away It's the voices of your friends that carry you the last distance. The voice of Saruk chanting, my strength extends to you. The voice of Halbrent praying his silent prayers. And the angry, upset voice of Reficul not allowing you to die peacefully, <laughs> willing you back. And with their help, cross back through the light into your body. So the rest of the cast can join me back on camera here. I'll reveal the, the results of our roles. So, we did that. New bar so. set. If you don't make me cry real tears during the resurrection scene, I don't want to be at your fucking table. We are so good at Pathfinder. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and switch over to the battle screen just so I can reveal some of these roles that we had because it was uh, pretty good. So internally, the DC that you guys needed to hit on your skill checks was a DC 19. It was lower to DC 17 for the lore check. That was my trade off for uh, making it a little lower. So the first role was Saruk who did a lore a resurrection lore that morning. Got your books out, crammed everything you could about resurrection lore. Saruk, you oh let's start with Refugio. Refugio, you got a nineteen intimidating a god enough to make her grin at least, not affect her, but it's pretty solid effort. Saruk, on your check, you rolled a natural twenty. For a total of thirty-one, bringing that to a critical success on your check. Actually, your check was enough to be a critical success even on the DC twenty-nine base level check crazy right so anyways you conveyed a plus four circumstance bonus to the role for the priest herself not too shabby Halbrent, you went ahead and did a religion check as well also using a hero point to keep the highest your role a dc 19 check came in at a 12 not great it is a failure so that means you incurred a minus two circumstance penalty to the role of the priest luckily not enough to bring it down like if it was a little lower you could have brought us down from a like one success level lower but you didn't do that you hit the minimum that was really necessary and honestly the best you could really expect out of Halbrand. so that was really clutch right there as well 
that brings us to Athanth Lalinar. Her role, she has a pretty sizable role. Her DC was a 29 to hit this success. Um, she needed a 29 or higher to do it. She had a plus 22 modifier, plus four from Saruk, minus four from Halbrant. She did roll with like fortune thanks to the chat, although she didn't need it because her first roll was higher. She hit a 14 on the dice for a total of 38, which which was not a critical success, but it was enough to be a regular success. So had Hal not hit that minimum 12, the critical the regular success would have been up down to failure. That's not what happened here. You managed to just sort of thread the bare minimum needle and get back to exactly a success. I'm alive. You're alive. So resurrect as a ritual has on a crit on a success. It's everything like a critical success. You return to life. Everything's prepared except for you have one hit point. No spells prepared, no points and focus points, anything like that. You're still affected by any long term debilitations of your previous body. And for the next week, your time in the River of Souls has left you temporarily debilitated, clumsy, drained, enfeebled for the next week of your life. However, the real key here is you are still affected by all the old debilitations of your previous body. Your previous body was left in a pretty bad state. So as we return here to the shrine, you all watch. There's a there's a breath, a struggle for <sighs> air, and Anita's eyes opens. Welcome back, nerd. I'm so tired. Careful, this this the fire. It's burning. Pain returns instantly, Anita. <laughs> Let's not get the the swatted at your house, please. Right. In in that like scream, in that chaos, it's sort of the, the sound drowns out in the room. Uh, the clock mother calling for help. You guys kind of helping, getting out of the way where you can. Anita screams. The pain is so much to handle. Her body, Anita, your body, it doesn't want to move. All of your your skin is burned. Your muscles are tight. Your eyes, they don't work. You can't see. You have no vision. The world is dark around you, but you can feel the presence of your friends. And everyone rushes to, to, to grab you, lay you down. They have salves. They have all this thing. The three of you are sort of ushered out of the room while they rush to do what they do best. And eventually the hours pass. The screaming subsides and you're invited back into the room. I think Hal would excuse himself when they're invited back in the favor of Reficule being there and he's going to head out into the city. Likewise, when we are invited back. You want to go in by yourself first, partner? Are you both sure? 
You were the ones helping. You were the ones that brought her back. I mean, I'm gonna go in and I'm going to go hug her, and I'm going to say that I'm very glad that she is not dead, but go, go. Just let me know when you're ready. I just nod. And I head in. Reficule, as you enter the room, you see blood. You see swaths of skin, burned skin, just sort of laying in a pile in the corner. And you see Annie, or at least a version of her. Looking, you see her body has been changed. Cyborg parts attached. Reinforced metallic pistons to help her move her body around. One eye sits human. The other glows similar to Wybert's. Anita is back not entirely unchanged by her experience. Is she awake? Do you say that out loud? Anita, you would hear him say that out loud. If so. no, I, I, yeah, I would walk in and see if she's awake. She is awake, yeah. Therapy. Turn. You gotta stop meeting like this. Uh, I, I don't know. I had a huge fatal miscalculation during that fight. I'm sorry, Annie. For what? I wasn't there. What do you mean? I didn't get there in time. I should have been at your side. Why are you blaming yourself for something that I did? I decided to go in there. I'm the one that's supposed to be helping protect you. I made a promise to Kojak. I failed. Would it make you feel better if I said that it's even now because you got me back? An eye for an eye, huh? Sure. Trying to steal my look there. I know it's so. I'm still trying to get used to it. I don't know if it would, if this will make me finally see in the dark like you all do, though. Guess we'll find out. Yes, we will. Looks pretty badass, though. Thank you. That was scary, though, Ruffy. That's terrifying. I can honestly say it's the only moment I've truly been frightened in my entire life. 
Yeah. I always thought that I would be okay with it. And then I started to have things to live for. When you have things to live for, you kind of want to live longer. I really didn't want to die that time. None of us wanted you to die either. Yeah. That's great. I'm not okay when you're not here. Likewise, Ravi. You know... Oh, hmm. I would just let it slide. Where's Wyvert, by the way? Uh, back at the inn. Keeping Kojak company. Glad you're back. Me too. Got a big green fella outside that's waiting to see you as well. Think I should let him in. Of course. Oh, the door bursts open. <laughs> and comes running a wall of plate mail. I am so sorry. You should never have been there. Why are you all blaming yourselves for something that I chose to do? You did, and that's right. Yes, 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 yes but. You chose to do it, but the circumstances that put you there did not... You should never have been. And I tunnel-visioned in the moment, and I made the presumption that I could walk in and be done with Shoma, and then back on, and we would be fine. And I made a mistake, and I have sworn oaths to protect the people. That extends to you. So I'm sorry. Are you... Does it hurt? That's a lot. It's like I'll move. But, um... It's, it's very... The memories I have right now, I don't know if they're real or if they're not... But what I do know is that they were telling me that you guys were helping to get me back. And as I told Rafi, I didn't want to go yet. So I'm really, really, really thankful. Absolutely. And always <laughs> you, the city's full of a bunch of people who would <laughs> forgive me, Rafi would burn it all down if they had their way, and it needs more people like you with the drive, the ingenuity, the skill, and the heart. I'm just glad you're back. I would hug you, but I don't even know if these arms would work. It's I just suppose so there's heavy. only one way to find out, huh? Big That's arms true. extend. I try to hug him. <laughs> there's a bit of, um, a learning curve here with like learning to to sort of move but it does for the most part what you want to do and it's it's a little 
awkward, a little clumsy, but the hug works. <sighs> Nothing a little time won't solve. If anything, you're smart enough to figure this out. What? What exactly has happened to you? I, I know you were burned, but... I began... Well, you know, actually... Can I can I maybe roll a crafting check? Sure. Go ahead and roll that crafting check. Yeah, roll. Pursue a lead. Dismantling you. What are you She definitely has elements of like clockwork sort of gears molded with her body. It seems like in places where she might not have full muscle control yet or might have lost a lot of her her mobility. These sort of like devices have been installed that kind of like kind of clamp into her like forearm at like different points. And the cranking of the gears literally allow her to move her body that way. Um, just by your sort of looking at it, it's hard to tell if this is a permanent thing for Anita or if over time they can sort of be scaled back, but it's very obvious to you right now in the moment that Anita is only really being kept alive by the miracle of this technology. The clockwork cowboy, huh? <laughs> I don't hate it. Look at this part though, right here on my chest. It looks like wire butts. That it does. Rahal, are you are you watching this from like the hallway and the doorway, or have, have you like actually like left left? I left, I I left just, the temple. You left left. That's what I figured. Yeah. Slips mm-hmm. out. What do we see Hal doing? Just kind of step out. It's it's in the dead of night by now. You see Hal go from the temple into the darkness, and there's a quick shot of a hand reaching out and grabbing a poster that has a picture of Anita on it that gets torn torn off the wood and rolled up. And then you hear the sounds of his spurs heading deeper into the uh, interior of the city. Yeah. When, the, when you see that shot of the poster too, it's not the bright, fresh poster that we saw at the beginning of the campaign. These posters are worn with time, frayed, faded, wet, you can tell it's been up there kind of for a while and there are other posters on the wall, other more important criminals that have been plastered and you get the sense that you might not be on the forefront of most people's minds these days. Spur walk off jingle jangle into the distance. This is where you need that sound word effect. And so uh, from there, I think the camera kind of looks upwards and through the sort of thick sort of smog, we just see a nice, beautiful crescent moon. And we are back. Thanks for hanging in there on our break, letting the first half of the episode sort of decompress a little bit. Take a deep breath, recenter ourselves. And they sort of as we, we fade back in from our commercial break, we see a high shot of the barrel and bullet saloon sitting 
in the fairest quarter of Alcanstar, I believe, run down, built piecemeal over time, the little sign. There's no sign on the front that says the name. It's literally a sheet metal barrel full of bullet holes with a rifle hanging from the bottom. And as we push in, we see the familiar text across the bottom that says 12 days later. And as we're floating in through the bar in the daytime, we find the hush whispers of patrons enjoying their beverages. And we find ourselves in the back office behind the bar, the secret meeting rooms that Phoebe uses when she conducts her business with you all. And as the camera kind of floats into that room, we see the five of you, Phoebe included, gathered around a table, a bunch of papers spread out and sitting there happily dancing. Wybert is back to life. Thanks to Anita's return. Thank you, Wybert. We don't like Wybert's a good boy. Let's get Wybert pets in chat for Wybert. Yep. On it, boss. Wybert pets. <laughs> we need lots of Wybert pets. So there's the scene. You guys are sitting there. You can tell the room's pretty heavy. Phoebe is like nods at you, Anita. Glad to have you back after all that. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Uh, I was told. Um, thank you. Didn't do it for you. Did it for the mission. Speaking of, kind of points her hand down at the table. Looks like we got another problem that needs solving. I think it's right up our alley. Pays well, and it gets us close to settling our score with none other than Ambrose Mugland. She kind of like raises her eyebrow and, and looks across at Ruffy, knowing like with an exclamation point, that name. Last night, we got reports of a flying clockwork monster spotted over this Hammer Street in the Ferris Quarter. Flew over the Estradi due east before leaving the city entirely. She sort of indicates like the the map of Alkenstar, just kind of the direction it flew off over Alkenstar Castle, like into the into the mana waste. One of the sentries at Alkenstar Castle got a good look at it, said it was the clockwork cat with big ass bronze wings and somebody was riding it like a steed. We checked with the Temple of Bry. They keep a tight rein on all the clockworks that get made here in Alkenstar. Turns out, nobody's filed the paperwork for any of these clockwork cats. According to the Bryites, there's just one obvious suspect. She takes the paper and slides it across your way. She slides over a charcoal sketch. The sketch shows a gaunt-faced man with bushy hair, thin lips, broad nose. The sketch shows a gaunt-faced man with bushy hair, thin lips, a broad nose, and an intense stare. She taps her finger on it. Olaman Kosawana, one of the church's former primary cogs, the second highest rank 
one can actually attain within the Bright Priesthood. A real whiz with clockworks, apparently. Plus anything else he sets his mind to. Curious to a fault, you might say. He was booted from the church a while ago for breaking protocol and promoting heretical conspiracy theories. She puts air quotes around it. Wouldn't you know, last time anyone seen him in public, our friend Vashon Gattleby's Pyronite demonstration. She raises her eyebrows menacingly. Kosawana kept a low profile till recently, doing his own thing at his workshop in the Ferris Quarter. And we got a few complaints from neighbors of loud booms coming from the workshop, but nothing serious. Well, the same night the sentry saw that flying clockwork cat, one of Kosawana's neighbors says he saw the old man fleeing the premises, some gun-toting goons in pursuit. Sounds like one of the local gangs broke into the place, and our man hightailed it out of there. Now, this is why we care. She shuffles the papers and pulls one out on top. One of the robbers matches the description of our friend, Ambrose Mugland. Must be desperate if he's getting his hands dirty. Mm -hmm. She clasps her hands behind her back and turns around, staring at all the empty whiskey bottles on the walls. Now, maybe it's a coincidence that Mugland failed to capture Gattleby, leads a gang of Tusk to grab this Kosawana guy a few weeks later. But I don't believe in coincidences. I need you to check it out. Wherever this Kosawana is, Muglin can't be far behind. She drops a cloth sack on the table that hits the ground with a satisfying thud. Go search Kosawana's workshop. Talk to his neighbor. The priest at the Temple of Bryce should have the address. While you're at the temple, maybe see about looking into this heretical poppycock they got Kosawana in hot water to begin with. Could give us at least some clues as to where he went. At any rate, the Duchess wants us to find Muglin. Wants us to find him before Muglin does. Ensure his safety and find out what he knows. Maybe we can use him as bait to draw Muglin out. I don't know. Either way, if he's managed to find a way to reverse engineer the Pyronite formula, we need to bring him in and keep him safe. Questions? Be clear, we're going to go to the Temple of, and I look towards the Temple of Bri and find out where, where this Kosawana workshop or house might be and then find out what the hell uh, got him kicked out of this order. Is that basically it? She says, yeah, you know, stop by the temple, talk to some of his former colleagues, maybe have a chance, research what led him to leave in the church in the first place. Talk to this next door neighbor. She points to like the, the sort of next door neighbor that was reporting things the night of the, the explosions and uh, check out his workshop while you're at it. We're, we're looking for any leads to where he might've gone. I set up a contact for you at the temple of Bri. Uh, ask for tertiary cogmanactis mint Akis. She'll uh, she'll be able to assist you. She'll be expecting you. Anybody else got any questions? No, it seems quite clear. 
So she drops a bag. She drops a bag here on the table for you guys. And inside that bag is 200 gold coins for you to split. Is this a deposit? Payment in advance. I think we're friends now. Payment in advance. I know we want the same thing now. Mugland. Head on a plate. I need a drink. I missed it earlier, but uh, how long ago has it been since the whole cat clockwork episode happened? Last night. Last night. This is fresh. This is new. This is hot. So we need to act fast. All right. Uh, You're muted. All right. So let's back head back to your favorite place, Anita. I can go circle up with their neighbor. Let's go together on the way, I'm sure. Because we have to find out his neighbor. We have to find out his address for at the temple. Yeah, right now you don't have a you, you know his address, you know his buildings in the Ferris Quarter, kind of near the lake, but you don't really know exactly where. She did mention that they should have those records at the temple so they can give you directions to his house. All right. What time is it? Phoebe goes and leave. Uh it's probably early morning. We're pro- oh, early for you guys, so like eleven AM. Right around lunchtime. Okay. Sharuk's been up for hours doing CrossFit, but. <laughs> All right, let's go. So she goes ahead and leaves, giving you guys a minute to sort of plan. Uh, if you guys want to just leave, then that's that's fine too. But uh, she leaves. She set up the scene. The game is yours, guys. I'm just going to add 50 gold to my inventory right now. Mm-hmm. Same. Catching. So I think over the last 12 days, the the friends at large because that's the party name uh have seen more of saruk like way way more of saruk whereas a long time ago because it's been months very isolated wake up work out go do the thing show up when i need to be do the things i gotta do then go back it's much more like up around the time as the rest of the team doing the things the rest of the team are engaging a little more before we leave i need five minutes to myself i'll i'll catch up We'll be right out here. Very well. And uh, to add to that, probably about two days into the downtime, Saruk, as Saruk gets up and does his workout, he sees a very groggy and half-awake Refi dragging himself downstairs and joining him for his workout. Got him! And uh, Refi continues to work out with Saruk and Urshap the next couple days. Hey, so yeah, there's there's been a lot more of training going on there with Urshap and Refugio for sure, and Saruk and Hal. I think during the time where Anita was recovering, Hal was working with uh, Gattleby, and he was in the workshop, cording off a spot, took all the everybody else's shit and p- just piled it in the other side of the room. Um, and if they had a problem with it, he could they could come tell him, but nobody ever did. <laughs> Poor so, goblin man. <laughs> um, right. Nicole and Gattleby are like really like in close quarters now, constantly bickering with each other. <laughs> he worked with Gattleby to know how to set up all this, the alchemist, alchemist tools that they found from what's his name's lab to make sure it's in all, all in the right spot for when she's ready to do her thing. It's all set up for her. And for the rest of the time, he he hovers not uncomfortably close, but 
whenever the camera would pan towards Anita, how would be in the background, like just keeping his eye on her. I imagine Anita would be having like a cane for up until like this 12th day, mainly because as much as she wants to say that she's confident with her new limbs, there's still that nervousness with having to deal with something very foreign. It's actually comforting to her that like Hal's there because she knows that if, you know, like she falls, like her friends are there because she knows that if she falls, like someone will be uh, helping her up. Yeah, there's almost a little callback to that, to uh, Aldo's sort of girlfriend uh, and her, like when you first met, like she was having like a missing. Aldo, what are you doing here in book two? <laughs> oh, Aldo <laughs> will be in back in book two, don't you worry. Aldo, what are you doing here in next adventure path? <laughs> so he's got out the door, up the stairs, go in his room, shut the door, and as soon as the door is shut, Keyjock, are you here? There's the familiar sort of rub of the spirit jaguar right against the back of your legs as he sort of curls and kind of takes his like attentive stance. Yes. Explain to me why everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. Big details, as much as you want to give me. Because I don't know. Not sure I understand the question. You said you all made your choices. Correct. Yes. We made our choices. She never should have had to make those choices. And one. I think that the way we worship is different. So different, in fact, that if you would like to continue following me and protecting me, I will not tell you no. But Anita's not a warrior. Her frontal lobe is not done developing, and she never should have been there. I need to rethink who I am, and I think... Alkansar is not a battlefield. It is a messy place, but it's not that. And I think it and they need something else. Kind of like tilts little cat head sideways. But in every vigilante, there's always a tragic origin story, no? I think you read too many books. You have to taste what's at stake in order to protect those you care about most. Did you feel the pain? Yes. Sure. But are you the one to tell Anita that she's not welcome? Does she not have a right to make her own choice? It's not that she never had the right to make a choice in the first place. Someone made the choice for her. That's the problem. Never should she ever have been there in the first place. I do not think she sees it this way, but I understand. What do you propose? I need to alter my belief set. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what that means for Tap Tap Taps the Armor. But I think I could serve the people who I have come to care for and this city at large wearing a different hat. The Hat of a Liberator. Reficule's hat. Reficule's hat. Now I'm a gunslinger. Eat shit. 
<laughs> I understand. This is not a path you have to walk alone. I'll still be with you. I appreciate it. I am interested in seeing this new Saruk, the driven liberator, so to speak. Yeah, me too. And then turns out the door. All right, I'm ready. Let's go. Well, all right. To the temple! To the temple. Back to the temple. Miss Anita. And how we'll hold the door open. He will take position behind the opposite side where where Wybert stands. So kind of like back and to the right if Wybert stands back and to her left. He's not like micromanaging her, but he just wants to be within hand's reach in case anything should happen. Yeah, same. Mate, I'm literally made of bronze and metal now. I feel that I'm a little sturdier. Bronze and metal are both entirely very conductive. The amount of electricity that flies through here. That's true, that's true. You are right, but you are wrong. That's true. That's very true. I think she looks pretty badass. That is objectively correct. Do you think so? It's just sad that my tattoos are gone. But my, my look at my hair. It's like it's all shorn and stuff. Hal gets a big smile on his face when she mentions her appearance. And you, you had no idea what kind of pain in the ass this, this young man was. I mean, you had to come back because I don't know if Saruk I'd have killed him probably or at least tried to because damn. Why? No, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, you know, but Reficule was a little bit uh, sideways for a minute there. We all were. I'm going to stand right here within arm's reach to make sure nothing gets at you because I don't want to go through that again. And he'll kind of get that sheepish look on his face, kind of deflecting the attention towards Reficule, but he definitely wants to be the protector of Anita while Tanagar is the protector of him. Anita would immediately go just because. <laughs> Aren't you walking with a cane? I feel like that's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, like with her cane. <laughs> trips on a pebble oh fuck so while you guys are walking and talking we're kind of treading familiar territory because we are taking the same path to get to the temple of Bri that you would have taken to get to uh, Blithier College because Blithier is pretty much just across the street and around the corner from the same bakery uh, the Needproof Bakery and uh, yeah. that, that you visited Great name before and so you see you see the temple just around the corner so your eyes are sort of drawn instinctively up towards Blithir. Yeah, you end up back at the at Blithir College. At Blithir or the temple? Sorry, no, I was that distracting. Past Blithir towards Rye, the Temple of Rye. You know, this large sort of clockwork structure with a giant clock that like rings out the time here in Alkenstar. Or, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, you were brought back to life. But it's a different vibe when you come back here. Because last time you came, you met with the grand high clock mother. And, and you were kind of treated with a little bit of of special care. But in this case, there's no greeting from the high clock mother. There's 
you know, as soon as your business was concluded, she's sort of giving you all the cold shoulder. And so finding yourself back here, there is a temple guard, not guard, a temple priest that is here waiting for you. Tertiary cog Bintakis, and she's a human priest. She's tertiary is sort of the lowest ranking here in the cog hierarchy. So she's higher than an acolyte, but she's like just barely starting her priesthood. And so she's been sort of tasked with answering your questions that you guys have. So uh, you show up and she's kind of standing here waiting for you. She takes you into like one of their formal meeting rooms, sets you guys down. She's dressed very formally. She stands at attention, super proper. And there's a small acolyte and he's carrying a a book that you recognize, Anita, as the logic of design. However, it's like a, a very like oversized, high level sort of show copy more than like an, a practical copy. So it's it's pretty big, like oversized, and he's having trouble carrying it and like even like balancing it. It's leather bound. It's fastened with bronze gears and all kinds of crazy clockwork lock contraption on it. Mintakis smiles a very forced smile, a sort of I'm only here because I have to be here sort of thing. Not unfriendly, but definitely not helpful not your friend right she's just doing the bare minimum that's been ordered of her which is to answer these questions and she just goes so i'll be happy to answer any questions you may have and she just kind of like looks over at you letting like not offering anything up on her own letting you guys ask and she will answer so what exactly did this guy do that was so heretical uh, Mr. Oloman Kosowana. Oloman. She kind of like thinks on your question for a minute. And instead of giving you like a straight answer, she says, Regulation 1452. And there's like a, a, a pause. So the acolyte fumbles with the book and like puts it on the table in front of you and starts flipping through the pages real quick. <laughs> yeah, I take you can take out your book and follow it, right? So you see like each page's header has like a regulation number and they're numbered. There's three numbers to each section. There's like a first number, a second number and a third number. And so they kind of go in order. First number, second number, last number. So you're able to find regulation 1452. And this big book is kind of open to the same page and he spins the acolyte spins it. So the rest of you kind of of pushes it in front of you, Saruk, and points at it. You see at the top of the page, you too, Anita, regulation 1452. And the acolyte recites the text from memory, and you guys can kind of read along with him. Regulation 14.5.2. All components shall advance the function or aesthetic qualities of the device. Any component which does not serve the whole shall be excised. And as he finishes it, he, like, closes the book. And Mintakis sort of nods with her eyes closed, listening. And so it was with primary cog Koswana. He chose not to serve the church, so he was declared superfluous to our knees. I can't say that word. I'm sorry. Say that again, please. Fuck you. Superfluous, I think you mean. Superfluous. That is correct. Your your pronunciation's really going, Ari. He was... (laughs) He continues to serve the Whisper in Bronze in his own way, perhaps. 
but not in any official capacity. I believe his workshop now resides in the Ferris Court or somewhere along the lake three blocks west of Hammer Street. Do you have the specific address? Nods and like reaches into her pocket and like has the address ready to go and slides it over to you, uh, Hal. And as you take a look, it's not just like, you know, street addresses. It's so like regulated. There's so many like steps to each thing. It's literally like, like, you know, leave this room 18 steps to the front door, make like reg- like step 1.2, make a left. It is broken down into like the most asinine, detailed, specific directions that you could possibly imagine, like way over the top. But easy to follow. Everything like a manual, like I hand it to Anita. I, I'm sorry, miss. I can't make heads or tails. Is this like a map? It's it's not a map, but it's literally like instructions on how to walk from here to his his house. Like literally from the 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 steps of the temple to his door, step by step by step. Each number of steps counted out, turns each intersection, which direction you turn, things like that. It's it's way convoluted, but easy enough to follow. Oh, all right. Oh, sorry. Oh, we, were, I, we forgot to introduce ourselves. My name's Anita Kieran, Ulysses Mendoza. This is Halbrant, Rafikil, and Staruk. Anita, I think they know who you are. <laughs> Hello. Yes, we've heard a lot about you. Eh? We've shared a lot of intimate knowledge with each other. You're looking great. Uh, are your Thank you. devices functioning well? You're adjusting to them? Slowly but surely, yes, but I still find myself needing the assistance of the cane. Would you, perchance, because we really need to know as much about Mr. Koswan, Koswan, Koswana, as we could. Koswana, so, yeah. So besides um, betraying the church, is that what he did? What else could you? He did not serve the whole. What do you mean? She kind of frowns on your question and pauses for a moment and recites another regulation off the top of her head. Regulation 475 guides us, she says, and gestures to the acolyte who recites the passage from memory, even as you're flipping your book to find the page, Anita. He's already saying it. It is not for the gear to determine how it will turn, but for the maker to set the design. Each gear must work with those beside it, or else the device will fail. Mentakis nods. Olaman found himself fascinated with some of the, shall we say, less accurate records in our archives, from which he formed a peculiar worldview. Instead of helping to grow the knowledge of the faith, he fell victim to lies and half-truths. Grand Cog Lalanir finally had to ask him to retire from public duties, to prevent further embarrassments. Has anyone else besides us walked in here looking for information about Goswana? Not that I'm aware of. You were, I am sort of public relations officer here at the temple now, and I would believe as far as I know, you were the first to come asking about it. That's good. 
Am I to understand that he might have been involved in some unauthorized flight patterns? I was told something about this cat. I'm sorry. Do you know anything about this flying cat construct? That's the word, right? You need a construct. Mm -hmm. I don't don't know. No, you were right. Can't say that I do. Uh, We checked the records and there's definitely not been anything registered with us. But in his later years, Kosawana did not necessarily follow tradition. It seems right up his alley, though. If, if there's someone off the books who could make such a grand contraption, it's probably Olamon. He could do anything he set his mind to. If only he chose the right things. Anything in your face that ties this cat construct, blind cat construct, back to the Temple of Bri? Stops and thinks and sort of strokes her chin. Can't say I'm making any connections. I'm sorry. Whatever this cat construct was, I don't think it had much to do with our temple. I mean, he's been he's been gone for about two years now. Do you know where he lives? I do. And like nods over at the paper, like she nods to the paper that she gave the directions to the directions to you guys. So you guys have the directions to his house. And just says, like, uh, we haven't kept on with his going-ons in quite some time. I mean, in, in accordance with regulation 14.5.2, Koswana is no longer associated with our temple. And that's the same sort of regulation that they already recited to you at the top. But this was his last known address that he had on file. You were saying, Anita? Hmm? You were saying something? I cut you off. I forgot. I really did. Seems the cat's out of the bag. Should we just head over to this address? Out of the bag and flying across Alkenstar. Much agua. Yeah, let's go. If you need anything further, you know where to reach me. And she sort of like stands up and just like opens the door and like ushers you guys out. As we leave, I turn around and say, "Ah, right, uh, Cog, Cog is it, right, Minty? Mintakus, roughly. <laughs> Tertiary Cog Mintakus, yes. Right, uh, tell your god, uh, she's off the hook. We're good. I'm not sure I follow. Don't worry, he, he was just saying, we gotta go. But yeah, you can you can leave the temple here. You have directions to his house at the very least. And you have another contact here at the temple that you can always come back to if you have more further questions or anything like that. You know, you are given very, very detailed. It's basically it's basically what they describe it as is meticulously detailed directions on how to get to his place from the temple of Bri. And it's like they don't just say, like, go to the street and make a left. It's like down the down the stairs, go to the middle of the street turn west, follow the bridge over the strati. I mean, it's way more than it needs to be, but given this instructions that you're given, it's not long before you find yourself sort of able to navigate towards Kosawana's workshop, if that's where you would like to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'll uh generally speaking, the area where um Kosawana's workshop is is in the same neck of the woods as the Yeast of All Brewery, kind of on the mm. um the west side of town over by the Iron Size Quarter. Yeah. So technically speaking, uh Kosawana's workshop is like right here. So it, it's a little higher, but it is on this side of um of Alkenstar. And so you sort of follow this bendy road around not far from Bottleneck Bridge, as a matter of have it. In fact, you need to cross Bottleneck Bridge to even get to Koswana's workshop, which is where we had our showdown weeks ago. And you find yourself uh, sort of staring up, um, looking at Koswana's workshop. The detailed instructions waste no time. And you, you within about from, from Temple of Bride here on foot, it, we're probably looking at like, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of walking. Is there anyone else like looking at us? There is a cybernetic human walking down the streets of Alkenstar. Right. No more than usual. But you can give me a perception check if you'd like. Everything's loading extra slow on my internet right now. I think I'm having internet issues on my end. Damn it. It's never Molten Holting's fault. It's our internet. It's definitely it's working fine for Oh shit, I forgot to make it a secret. That's fine. So you guys are sort of keeping lookout to see if there's any sort of... I mean, you're drawing a lot of attention. You all notice that, like, with Anita's higher profile, like, clockwork hybrid form, drawing a little bit more stares than usual. You're not as... You're not as common looking anymore, Anita. Like, people are, like, side-eyeing you, looking at you. No one's necessarily approaching you and talking to you, but they're all kind of trying to figure out what you are as you walk by you're, you're a bit of a sight to behold but you're not you guys aren't noticing anyone following you it doesn't seem like there's any sort of interest in you it just feels like the crowd's giving you an extra wide berth here tonight today as you cross the, the city and um the warehouse itself looks to be pretty pretty abandoned i mean you you're standing out you look at the directions you're looking up you're looking down the address seems to match the workshops here it doesn't look like you know you look up and down it is a sort of ramshackle building this area is not the most upscale so there's quite a bit of uh like reinforced walls and like very thin sort of sheet metal uh walls that don't probably dampen a lot of sound from inside you see it's basically a two-story building. There is sort of a loading dock around back out in front. There's a front door that looks to lead right into the front. And that's where his address is. The, the window slits are so tiny that it looks like it lets in just the tiny bit of light from out here streaming in. But like you can't squeeze through a window or even really look in. It's, it's the bare minimum to let light in without letting nosy people sort of look in and see what you're up to. It's definitely a function over form sort of place. Once we figure out where the place is, I'm going to start tracking a route where the neighbor is. I don't know if anyone wants to go, dare I say, climb on top of a building and prepare to throw it. No, that would be crazy. If y'all want to take a look over there, I'll, I can catch up real quick. Under the presumption that this the neighbor is like across the street kind of thing. I'll try and knock. Let's, uh, yeah, let's just go together and find out. What's going on? Go here, go there. Mm. Talk to this guy, talk to that guy. I mean, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. 
<laughs> so uh yeah no problem saruka uh, you're able to immediately look and you see like right up like sort of the building that that butts up right against uh, this workshop there is a residence right there like kind of a small compared to this workshop a very small residence but there's definitely a shared wall there and even as you're standing here looking at it you can see the sort of like curtains and there's like a neighbor that's so nosy they're like watching you standing on the porch from here and you like look up and catch their eye and they look back at you and like the curtain sort of drops as they like try not to be seen can i when i catch their eye i don't know if this is a no cause for alarm kind of moment but i'm catching a vibe that it might be a no cause for alarm kind of moment yeah he's not quite in a 10 foot emanation from you but in an rp sense i'll allow it nice. yeah go ahead and make a diplomacy check Diplomatic. And look at our shiny, like, roll your shiny math rocks and show them to our chat because they're here for our dice. Let's show them these awesome rollsmith yeah. dice. Look at these dope rollsmith dice. They're so dice. pretty. Oh, bam! See, look how fucking pretty that was. Wasn't that great? Take that. Take that shit off my hands. They're so pretty. I'm these rather here, boy. F that noise. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you don't get a success or a critical success. I think maybe you try to, like, you try to like disarm the situation with your with your uh, diplomacy. Uh, it doesn't seem to work. Uh, you can just see that the, like the panic still in his eyes. I don't know if panic's the right word, but like definitely, this nosy neighbor is very very alarmed at what you're doing here. Look at all them pretty guys. A twenty five doesn't change it. Oh, a twenty five. Uh, I think a twenty five. So you you spend a hero point, no problem. So you spend a hero point, you reroll twenty five. Uh, I think the last minute, like you see the curtains close, and then very slowly you see the curtain pulled back as this older man is like looking at you, less afraid, less startled, but the the look on your face lets him know. He, he gets the feeling like you're not here to harm him or do anything bad, and he sort of like looks at you, and doesn't smile. But just gives like a slight like nod and almost like a like a head gesture towards his door. I'm go walking up. Uh, he he opens the door and you can see he opens it just enough. There's like a chain deadbolt lock that still holds it, and he opens the door so you can just see his face sort of through the crack as he holds the door and just suspiciously looks at you. Y'all here for the deafening foolery? Yeah, something like that. Uh, anything you could tell us would be helpful. We, five minutes will be out of your hair. Yeah, so my neighbor's been at it for weeks. Explosives, booms all night, all day. Can't even get sleep, scaring away my customers. And I've been filing complaints with the shield marshals for weeks. He spits on the ground. Nothing gets done under that deputy loveless, I tell you. Preach. When was the last time you saw him? Is he there now? Saw him last night. Matter of fact. Are you going to make it worth my while? He like kind of grins. You can see he doesn't fully trust you. And he's kind of like. I guess he would just ask you right. right like, How do I know you're not one of them corrupt shield marshals? Do I look like a corrupt shield marshal? Kinda. What? Come on. Here, you know what? I mean, he's right now in an unfriendly state with you, essentially, mechanically speaking. Of course. So then here's that make an impression. So you can have a little bit of conversation and, and try to make an impression on him. I think I'm going to flavor text what I say based on the result of the roll. I like that. All right. 19. 
it's going to be a success. Here's how we'll make it worth your while. We're going to go in there. We're going to find the person who's making a bunch of noise and we're going to have some words with them and no more noise. Does that sound like something corrupt shield marshals would do? No, they wouldn't show up at all. If they did, they would something, something, try to make their own money out of it and then leave. And the problem repeats itself, waves generally at the district on and on evermore. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, you're definitely not a shield marshal. He like closes the door and you hear like the thing like unbolt and he opens his door fully still kind of standing in the doorway with you. But he's kind of you feel him like warming up to you a little bit. You've improved to in to um, indifferent from unfriendly. What is your name, by the way? I don't think I caught it. Riggs. Wenrick Riggs. Saruk extends arm. Reaches out, shakes your hand. Yeah, he like scratches the back of his head. He's kind of like. I mean, I saw him chased away yesterday by some ne'er-do-wells, but uh, I don't remember much about who they were, but it was last night I heard the gunshots first, peered out my window and saw saw him make his flee on uh, some sort of device. I don't know. Hasn't come back since. Haven't heard anything since. Mm, All's been quiet. But I, I knew he's been up to no good. He's been up to something over there. Looks over to Halbert. I was just curious if he made his escape out the back window. Uh, he nods and he, he says, I got a window in the back. Overlooks his loading dock. Strange delivery sometimes. Big things in, out. He stops and considers you and considers the situation. Well, about all I can remember right now. And you see him sort of like licking his lips and like f- he's he's kind of idly like fumbling with his like coin purse. All right. All right. I see where you're going with this. He wants something or at least to be in, he needs to be made more friendly before he'll divulge more information. I reached down to my coin purse. On second thought, you know, money only goes so far. I I have some friends in the district and I, I stop by their place every so often and we have a, a big get together bunch of food bunch of alcohol bunch of good times i could you know make sure you were there next time one happens take the edge off why don't you make another uh make an impression roll if i fumble canonically he knows the meat will kill him <laughs> <laughs> while Sirik's doing this hal's gonna dig into his person and him a gold piece you see him like kind of like teetering on the edge a little bit. And then as you hand him like the gold piece, it kind of like improves the situation a bit. And he smiles and nods. You know, you might have just jogged my memory a bit and I might take you up on that. That offer. Maybe uh, me and some of my union friends can come by sometime. That'd Absolutely. Be, be great. I'll tell you what I saw. Pockets the gold. Leans against the doorway. Kind of comes out on the porch and leans very casually like his body language has changed. Saw several bandits dressed in black and gold passing by my office window. Stopped at Koswana's door. They kicked in the door. Heard some shouts. Several shots. Sounds like a scuffle. I peered out the window, but couldn't see inside his workshop. He's secretive what he's doing over there. I can't, you know, never trust somebody who hides what they're doing, you know. Seems weird. Like, why would you? 
Why would you hide what you're doing from your neighbors? Anyhow, <laughs> she waves it off. Like moments later, I heard more shots. Look out the back window. Saw Kosawana burst from his loading dock on a flying cat made of brass and gold. The bandits ran after the inventor and fired their guns at him, but uh, Kosawana flew far out of sight. One of them, like a little foul-mouthed halfling, just berated the other the other four for their failures. Kind of a, I don't know if it's correct to say it, but he's kind of a dick. No, oh, kind of a dick. I know the guy. You do know him. Looks over to Rafi. Bit of a mustache. Lots of rings. Right, right. Furry feet. Blue pinstripe suit. About yay tall. Hmm. Guy's a piece of work. Did he say anything while he was breeding them? Bandits in black and gold. Did he say anything specifically that you can remember? Al reaches into his coin purse and lets the coins click clack together. <laughs> click clack. Plus two status bonus for click clack. Yeah, his eyes sort of go wide as he looks at the coins. You know, come to think of it, I think he said something along the lines of find it. No, wait, wait. Oh, he had a, he had an accent. Wait, what kind of accent did he have? He was like, find it. No, no, that's not it. it I, I'm not great with accents. You got to give me a break here. But he was he was saying like, find it, or you'll find yourself at a watery grave. Something to that effect. You know what I'm saying? Like, you sound like a leprechaun. Like, find it, or you'll find yourselves in a watery grave. Spot on. You sound like him. I've been told that before. Uncanny. Did you see which way the the construct flew? Like a cardinal direction? He points in the eastern direction, and he says, straight east. That way. So from where we are, like, yeah. Essentially, east from where you guys are over the big, like, lake towards, like, Alkenstar Castle and stuff. Uh, and that's the big, like, definitely thing to pay attention to is the castle if you were flying straight that direction. Pretty much, yeah. It's the biggest landmark. It'd be over, like, over Hellside, over the falls, over the castle, in that direction. And it kind of matches with what the intel, because uh, one of the sentries at Alkenstar Castle saw it fly right over the castle and at, due east straight out of Alkenstar. Out of the city. Yeah, the, the sentry saw, saw, the, saw the clockwork fly out of the city. Hal's going to give him another gold and be like, all right, if you know anything, go to the Temple of Bry. Write him a letter, note, whatever, and then uh, give it to, ask for tertiary cog in Takas and uh, tell him it's for, well, the amigos here, Saruk, Anita, if I kill myself. No. Uh, before you go, just one last thing, uh, just sort of jogged my memory. I think Kosawana is a bit of a pack rat, you know? He's always getting shipments. I see stuff come in all the time, but not out. But like I noticed every time he goes into his house, he can't even open his door all the way. It's so full that he just opens it and has to squeeze his way in the door. I don't know what's up with that guy. Probably a hoarder. Hard to say. It might be. You said from your window you had a view over the loading dock. Do you mind if we go take a look? 
Uh, yeah, sure. He like he sort of like invites you into his house. You step inside and you see a sort of sad bachelor pad uh, filled with the same sort of like bachelor chow fridge kitchen setup that Aldo had, but at a much, much lower level of standard of living. And uh, he's got curtains kind of over his back room and he throws open the curtains uh, and you get a nice view of the, the lake sort of behind here. And you can see a sort of loading dock and it looks like there's a road that leads to the back of Kosawana's warehouse. And it has a sort of raised off the ground, maybe like three feet wooden platform that would like line up perfect with like a cart kind of pulling up and backing into it where stuff can be loaded in. And it's sort of covered by this like sheet metal sort of covering with these like half rotten wooden poles, like propping it up that lead to like the second story sort of flat rooftop of the building. And you just can kind of see from this kind of awkward angle that it just appears to be like a pretty normal looking loading dock. Nothing's on it right now. Uh, and some of the, the wood appears to be like a little splintered and like fresh, like one of the pillars looks freshly sort of caved in a little bit. Thanks. I just wanted to see if anything stood out. You think we can get in from there. I mean, it's already I mean, open. This is objectively true. Instead of having to squeeze in through the front door. It saves the hell out of opening a door and having too many boxes fall on our heads. I'm not sure how we get why we're squeezing through the door, or you for that matter. We'll figure it out. But yeah, I mean, with him showing you the loading dock, you now know that you have a second way into this house, which is through the back loading dock instead of through the front door. Either way. So, is that the way you guys would like to go? That's what I recommend. We should go that way. Yeah. I don't want to squeeze... Thank you very much, friend. Yeah, he uh, thanks for the coin. Jingles his coins. As he he- uh, as we head out, I'm gonna go through my backpack and pull uh the cowboy bobblehead that I stole from the bank all those uh-huh. months ago and then just leave it. So here's the thing. You pull the cowboy bobblehead you stole from the bank all those first session ago and you look at it and you realize now it's like a, a person riding a bull with a bobblehead and on the bottom it literally says Longhorn Lounge on it. Now that's ironic, isn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> you just didn't notice all this time? You never looked too close at it? No. <laughs> what the fuck? I look at the bobblehead. He's riding it that the wrong way. <laughs> now he's just behind the times. It's not his fault. You actually give it to the guy, though? Yeah. Now there's just a little bit more color here in your office. Shakes it. It bobbles a bit. You can see him smile. Looks up. One more thing, friend. Oh, did you? Did that happen in the factories? I've seen. I've seen this before. Which one? Oh, this. The, the body. I've seen these sort of things, but this is beyond anything I've ever seen. This is amazing work. And don't you know this is the Clockwork Cowboy? Haven't you heard? I have not. And well, now you have. You know, have you, did your employer pay for that? Because. You know, we're working on employee rights here in the city such that any injuries incurred on the job should be covered by your employer's health care plan. I got some literature around here for you. One second. Oh, sorry. I have to oil my joints. I walk out. You don't need to give us the literature. We're on the same page. And, yeah, no, the employer paid very well. Very well. One more thing, friend. And I'm looking at him hard. You might have heard about the, the clockwork cowboy now, but you haven't seen her, and you haven't seen us. Never, ever. 
make a coercion check with intimidation. <laughs> Here I go, cluing in, Ruffy. Here's a goal, friend, just in case. That'll definitely boost uh, boost the success rate of, of this roll. All right. Oh, so close to that. Uh, 16 uh, would actually be I'm not a success. A hero point. Okay, yeah, spend the hero point at the end of the session. and But the goal is definitely going to make the difference here. Unless you roll a one. Oh. Oh, so here's the thing, Refi. You're trying to come across as super intimidating and, and scare this guy. You stare, you like you get all serious at him and he looks at you and he kind of like looks at the rest of you guys. And then you just watch as he laughs it off. Like, oh, <laughs> you guys are funny. And he, like kind of claps you on the shoulder. Uh, you can tell your message did not land. He thinks you guys are, you're, he thinks you're pretending to be tough in like a jokey way. Can I try to quickly diplomacy to salvage it? You want to like basically let him know that Ruffy's being serious? No, 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 no. Just like a, I think something along. But, but seriously, you shouldn't tell anyone that we were here, kind of thing. So that part where definitely not shield marshals, we're really not friends with them, and we'd really like it if they didn't know we were here because we'd really like that fight to be on our terms. You know what I mean? Well, oh, please. you're you're serious. Yeah. And here I thought we were friends. Ruffy is... We're working on it. It's a long story. He didn't mean anything bad. We are friends. We're going to go and next door and make sure that uh, we take care of the noises. And we're going to give you one more of these right here. Yes, great. He takes another call. He's like, look, you've bought my silence. But get the fuck out of my house. Yes, sir. True one. As, as, soon as, <laughs> as soon as the door closes, Ruffy, kind words first. Door closes. <laughs> Latches also, go across. I wasn't trying to be that. I was just trying to let him know that he shouldn't tell people that we were here. Say please. Also, does black and yellow mean anything to you? Yeah, does black and yellow uniforms mean anything? Oh, make a <laughs> make a criminal lore. Uh, you guys, some of you guys have lore. underworld lore. Alkenstar lore. Alkenstar lore qualifies. Criminal lore is a better one with a lower DC, but uh, Alcastar lore is definitely applicable. I don't know what it is. Black and yellow. Black and yellow. Black and yellow. The 2000s are over. (laughs) (laughs) Saying sheesh. Sheesh. I'm saying sheesh. Go back to the 2000s. Al, Hal comes up short with your lock. You're like nothing. The black and gold. It's it's not registering me anything with you. Reficule, you you're thinking on it, and you're hoping that it's not true, right? This is just a potential thing. But there is a rough and tumble gang in the streets that are more of a myth and a legend than an actual thing. Like you've never seen them. You know, in your experience with Muglin, you've never actually seen them in action, but Muglin's name dropped him a few times. That is the Bumblebees. Wow. He used to threaten you as a kid, like, you know, do your chores or I'm going to call the Bumblebees. It was a thing that, that, that Muglin harped on quite a bit in his uh, things. Uh, and as far as you know, they are like the roughest, most dangerous last resort gang in the city. Could be this group. More of a myth. Boogeyman, you could say. Hmm. 
words, their names spoken with fear whenever they buzz around. Call themselves the bumblebees. Shit, oh, bumblebees. Crying out loud. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw how effective them bees were at that uh, warehouse, right, Saruk? Yeah. They're also known for using ammunition laced with poison. Stingers. Like, that's what they call their stingers. They don't just shoot you, they paralyze you and slowly torture you. Let's just say we don't want to run in with them and get stung. That's what the armor's for. Clang, clang. <laughs> 